Welcome back to the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast for the Week 14 Waiver Wire episode. I'm your host, Bobby Sylvester, and today I'll be joined by Scott Pianowski of Yahoo.com to break down Week 13 and help you pick up the right players to secure that all-important win before the playoffs, or perhaps even your first playoff football game. So, hey, Scott, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Scott, Thomas Rawls was excellent against Carolina. Uh, A good run defense after just killing a bunch of us in Week 12's DFS. Do you think this offensive line can actually hold up and make him a running back one the rest of the way? Um, I, he's going to be on the scene for a running back one, running back two, but probably startable in all formats. I thought Seattle, what they did in week 12 was more about Tampa Bay's defensive line having a great game than maybe Seattle being a bad offense. And we saw in that game, at least Russell Wilson is really getting close to 100%. He was productive the games before that, but he had – uh, season high in rushing yardage. That's a big part of making this offense go is just the threat of Wilson's mobility. Not that they're necessarily going to run read option all the time or anything like that, but it just opens up so many different things. And we saw Seattle against Carolina last night. Not only did they get Rawls going, they also had that jet sweep that turned into the touchdown for Tyler Lockett. And to see what the offense was a lot more diverse. Uh, Javon Curse, not really a fantasy player, but you know had a really big game. Uh, for him anyway. So this offense, this team, I think they're the best team in the NFC, even with Dallas to the side. And with Wilson back in form, the offensive line getting a little healthier, it's not going to be a plus unit by any means. But we saw Rawls' potential in week 13, and I think people will be starting him for the rest of the fantasy season. That's a really good way to put it, Scott. I'll tell you, I, I was afraid to start him any week in any matchup in my most important league just because that offensive line has been so concerning. But uh, when you put it that way, Makes a lot of sense. Makes me feel a lot more comfortable. Uh, And then we had Marvin Jones missing the game. Golden Tate just exploded against New Orleans. 145 yards, a touchdown on eight receptions. Tate owners want to know if this is something they can expect the rest of the season. Well, the thing with with Detroit, I've heard people criticize it at times, is it's a very horizontal passing game. I mean, when they have Jones, they will sometimes take downfield shots with him. The only guy I remember them throwing downfield to of, of any note yesterday was Andre Roberts, who's, you know, what, like a fourth or fifth receiver. But this is a team that wants to get rid of the ball as soon as they can. And uh, although Stafford will take a hit to, to make a play, he has no problem with that. And I think he's actually an MVP candidate. His stats maybe don't match up with some of the other players, but he's doing it with smoke and mirrors. That said, I think Tate, very frustrating. He didn't do anything for the first few weeks. But it's one of those things like in a, in a baseball season where if you get off to a poor start, we look at the 137 average and maybe we overreact to it because there's just nothing else for it to meld into. Exactly. But there's ebb and flow every season. Receiver is a variance position. Even a player who has a game. You like to think that a player like Tate generally would be more consistent because it's based on volume and, and he's more of like a kind of a PPR guy as opposed to the high variance downfield player. You think of like a Ted Ginn type of player or somebody like that. But um, I believe that even though Detroit can be hard to kind of figure out where the targets are going. Some weeks, Theo Riddick's really involved. Other weeks, he's not. Uh, some weeks, Eric Ebron's involved. Other weeks, he's not. That They're kind of using Anquan Bolden as a second tight end. He's stealing some goal line looks as well. But yeah. if I had to own anybody in this passing game as far as a receiving threat, I'd have to go to, to Golden Tate first. He's probably about a receiver 20 the rest of the way for me. Yeah, I agree. I, I know you like the Seattle team, but I think Detroit is the best bet in the NFL to take down the Cowboys in the playoffs. A lot of people don't realize this, but because uh, they had such an awful stretch with Darius layout, but the Lions have given up the same yeah. amount of points as the Cardinals. And that run defense, I think they can slow Zeke down. Yeah, you know, I, I, it probably for a lot of people, needed they needed to see what happened in Week 13 when they actually went into Detroit 
and you know, Drew Brees doesn't throw a touchdown pass for the first time in 60 home games. I mean, this Remarkable. defense, it's a case where, again, you know, you, you talk about Tate off to the bad start, people write him off, but it's not necessarily who he is. I mean, you know, Ziggy Ansah was hurt early in the season. They had injuries in the back end as well. Now, this it's not necessarily a shutdown unit, but it's not the worst pass defense in the NFL. And maybe it's somewhere around league average or maybe even a little bit above. I like to look at when, and I know a lot of people look at fantasy points allowed or they look at maybe DVOA, uh, which I think is a football outsider's tool, a great uh, thing to look at. But I, I like to focus more on a five to eight week window for defensive efficiency and what they've allowed. And what happens in September really isn't important to me anymore. Interesting. Well, who do you like in the AFC? Are you a Raiders or Patriots guy at this point or perhaps another team? I think it's wide open. Um, I, I think New England, I would still make the favorite because they, they still have a Hall of Fame quarterback. They still have the best coach of the generation and the legitimate yeah. home field advantage. Oakland's such a weird team because it feels like they've won all their coin flip games. There's another team, though, right? The defense was not playing well early in the year, and now finally, you know, Mac's really going, and they're, they're starting to get some sacks. And uh, obviously, they, they have terrific personnel on offense. The offensive line, everybody talks about Dallas's offensive line, but Oakland's offensive line is outstanding. They have two very good receivers who are good at different things. And, and Carr uh, has turned into in his third season. It, it's funny how there are, what, four or five quarterbacks drafted ahead of him in his draft class, but he's there, turned out to be the guy there. But I think most of the AFC hopes Pittsburgh doesn't make the playoffs because, man, are they dangerous with their offensive personnel. I would still favor New England. I, you know, the defense is getting a little bit better. I, I know it hasn't been great, but Belichick defenses usually get better as the season goes along. Gronkowski, obviously a huge hit, but they have a lot of pieces on offense. Finally, Edelman's foot feels pretty good. He's been terrific over the last month. And, and the Patriots, who generally have come up shooting blanks when they draft receivers, Malcolm Mitchell has been a player for three weeks He's in good. a row. So. Yeah, he is good. You know, you know, they have Deion Lewis is healthy now. They just have so many weapons. I, you, you hate to see Gronk hurt, but they have, and sometimes it's tricky for fantasy. It's hard to figure out where the ball's going at times, but they have a lot of different ways to beat you. And I, I still think it, it's not like it was maybe a month ago, but I still think the road through the AFC will go through New England. I agree. It's boring to say it, but I think the Patriots are the team to beat. I'm glad you mentioned the Steelers because I think they're right there as, as maybe the number two most dangerous uh, AFC playoff team. I know you've got all those teams in the AFC West, but I think they're all playing a little bit above their heads. When I watch this Steelers team, I look at them and I see a team that can beat anyone in the playoffs. Uh, they can score. And also the Ravens team, if they can make the playoffs, which I don't think they will because the Steelers have a better rest of the season schedule than them. This defense they can win the Super Bowl by themselves. They're very, very good. And we've seen Flacco go nuts in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, he had that run kind of out of nowhere, but um, maybe the best quarterback playoff run of all time, although Aaron Rodgers is right there with him. And you've seen, you know, Perryman has started to step up. We, we thought Dennis Pitta would never score another touchdown, but you know, he goes <laughs> off in week 13. John Harbaugh, terrific coach. A, a Baltimore defense that, that has some pieces, certainly a, a very good rushing defense, which is, you know, maybe not as important as pass defense in the NFL, but Baltimore, I think a very interesting game in week 14, actually. They've always played New England well. Remember, they knocked out the Patriots in New England the year that the Ravens won with Flacco. Yeah. So I, I think we'll get a good meter, and maybe the Ravens might need this game to make the playoffs. It's interesting they need this game more than New England does, but we'll get a really good sense of where Baltimore is after they play the Patriots this week. Yeah, we've got the Steelers and Ravens on Christmas Day. I'll be looking forward to that one. Yeah, uh, two really good games on Christmas, right? Because we have an AFC West game uh, that day as well. So yeah. um, unwrap the presents and uh, you maybe have a little eggnog. Uh, maybe even take a little nap. <laughs> 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 but all these, you know, I, 
I don't know if everybody agrees on this. I think it's fun to have football on Christmas Eve and fun to have a couple games like Christmas Day. I mean, I like um, it too. You know, I mean, I'm, it's, I'm my, it's my birthday, so I, I want football on my birthday. Nice. Oh, okay. You, you're the guy who was born on December 25th. I'm glad we. Okay, Scott, let's move over and help our listeners with the waiver wire for this week. We'll be talking about players who are owned in less than 50% of Yahoo leagues. So I know some of you guys play in weak leagues with like Michael Thomas still available, but he's taken in like every league. So we won't be covering the obvious plays like that. Scott, I want to start with Malcolm Mitchell. You already talked about how good he is. Are they going to keep using him the rest of the season with Gronk out? Yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, he gets a season high 10 targets last week. He, He scored three touchdowns. In the last three weeks, the interesting thing about him is I've seen him listed at three different heights. I've seen him listed at, at 5'11", 6 feet, and six one. He, to me, he always seems to play a little bit taller than this height. Uh, maybe it's his ability to high point the ball, but he's not. You can't look at him as a rookie anymore. They're playing him as a full time guy. And remember, not just Gronkowski hurt, but Bennett's dinged up. Hogan's had some injuries. Danny Amendola it sounds like he's out of the picture now. Right. So Patriots offense that was a little bit jumbled and maybe harder to figure a month ago is kind of clearing up. Elements healthy. Mitchell has proven that that he's somebody Brady trusts. Josh McDaniel trusts. I think that, now the only thing that's kind of annoying about this is they have a Denver game on the schedule, and we know how bad of a matchup that is. So I think Mitchell will be playable in two of the three weeks of the fantasy playoffs, at least as a receiver three. You know, he was drafted so much later than everybody else, but I think he could end up being the second best wide receiver in this draft class. Another player I really like that just hasn't gotten the field is Josh Josh Doxson uh, over for the Washington Redskins. But Malcolm Mitchell, man, the boy can play some football. I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, we see with receivers, it isn't always the first-round guys. You know, Alshon Jeffrey was the second-round pick. I mean, sometimes – uh, you, you find you know, with players who are hurt in college or sometimes players, you know, Tyreek Hill for different reasons, wasn't drafted that early, what a talent yeah. he is. Um, so it, you know, it isn't always the guys with the first round pedigree who, who end up being fantasy factors. And even though I always thought the 2014 class maybe led us astray because that year with Beckham and Watkins and, and uh, Evans. You know, all different guys, Evans, yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many different uh, first round receivers who went crazy that year. Obviously the, the best rookie class of all time. Sometimes it skews the fact that this is a hard position and it takes two or three years to learn, uh, you know, what's going on. In the case of Mitchell, maybe it took him in, until November to actually know what's going on in an NFL game on a pro football field. But um, there's some exciting players in this class. And I, I agree with you. That I think Mitchell is going to go down. He's going to, when people look back at the 2016 draft, they're going to say, how come, you know, like we say, why wasn't Doug Baldwin drafted? How did that possibly happen? I think, yeah. How come Mitchell went in what round? You know, I, I think it's a lot easier to learn when Tom Brady's your quarterback, though, too. That's a great point. Now, Ladarius Green, a bunch of fantasy owners keep hyping him up and saying, this is going to be the guy, this is going to be the guy, and he was just kind of a stinker the first three weeks he was back. Now he finally had a huge game for him, 110 yards and a touchdown. Are you picking him up, or are you looking at this Buffalo matchup and just saying he's not even startable at this point? I know. I mean, I, 110 yards and a touchdown and 11 targets, I'm fine with that. And even the Previous week, I mean, I, I only only had two catches. Here's the thing with Green. He's not playing a lot of snaps, but when he's on the field, he's there to run pass routes. He's not there to block. He's not there for running plays. He's there to run downfield. And we saw yeah. that against the Colts. And, you know, a 67-yard game from a tight end, you'll take it. I mean, you want the touchdown. But And look at how things have cleared up in this passing game. Obviously, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell are going to be the major guys there. Everybody knows that. But they can't really find a second receiver that they trust. Some weeks it's been Eli Rogers. You know, Coates has been hit or miss. They have other guys who are hurt. Wheaton's been hurt. They obviously have the suspension of Bryant. 
they really need a third option in this passing game. I think they want it to be a Darius Green, and you know, we started to see the uh, developing of him two weeks ago. And last week's numbers, man, I think he's a must add, and not only a must add, a must start. But I, I'm probably going to play him in DFS as well. Interesting. Yeah, this week I'm going to be avoiding him. I'm going to put him on my bench, maybe grab a Vernon Davis, but. I'm adding Ladarius Green just because of this Week 15 matchup. If you don't win Week 15, obviously you can't win your fantasy championship. In Week 15, he gets a Cincinnati team who just does not cover tight ends. We saw what Zach Ertz did to him. It was his first big game of the season. And I'm crazy about Ladarius Green in Week 15. And it's the point of the season where you've got to be looking forward two or three weeks ahead just to make sure that your opponent doesn't add the guy that you need. I think Green's going to be a great pickup next week. So I'm grabbing him this week. Yeah, that's a great illustration of how fantasy strategy changes where early in the year i'm just trying to build the best team and get the highest upside and then now there are things like i'll look to block opponents from players or i'll look a week or two after it i would never for example carry two fantasy defenses in yeah. september October. but now we have a sense of what the really good matchups are for defense and the roster composition really changes i am not a handcuff guy in august or September, but now there are four or five handcuffs I think you must have where it's all about, I think there's more individual game theory. Obviously, you want to win your September games too, but now we specifically know what the objectives are. We have a good sense of what matchups are, are playable, what matchups aren't playable, and just you, you really you started to kind of tap into it, but just it illustrates how the fantasy strategy and the roster composition strategy is different at this time of year. You know, it's interesting you talk about owning two defenses because I, I do not own two defenses ever. But I picked up the Falcons two weeks ago, and it's about to pay off for me. They get the 49ers and the Rams. Do you agree they're the best streaming pickup this week? Yeah, it's a great pickup. I wish I wish I actually looked ahead on them because they haven't. But here's a case where people say, well, why would I want the Rams? They never score any fantasy points. But that position is – and I, I get asked every week. I mean, look, it's a fantasy position. We want as many points as we can get. I get asked every week about streaming questions or which defense to use. And it's all about you want teams that are favored. You want to pick on inexperienced quarterbacks, on mistake-prone quarterbacks. The Falcons are, are going to be a favorite at Los Angeles and a heavy favorite in Week 15 against San Francisco. So yeah. that's what fantasy defense is. You know, the Green Bay Packers defense, I, although it didn't have a great game yesterday, but it, it was – I saw Brock Osweiler. I'm like, yeah, I'm all in. I mean, you're of trying – <laughs> You know, everybody's heard the Blake Bortles stat by now. He's thrown more pick sixes than he has quarterback wins in his career. I mean, that's what oh. defense special teams is. You're looking to find, and to some extension, I think kickers like that too. Nobody really wants to talk about kickers, but you're looking for somebody who's in a favored game, somebody who's going to have positive game flow. I mean, sometimes, you know, you, you expect the game flow doesn't turn out. The New Orleans game was like that yesterday. But when you pick your fantasy defense, to me, it's all about picking on that bad opposing quarterback and finding a team that's favored. The Falcons check those boxes, and they're only owned in 15% of Yahoo leagues. Yep, there you go. Now, Tyler Lockett's a really interesting one to me. I mean, we remember he was drafted in the eighth, ninth round in the preseason, and then he wasn't healthy. He's fallen off a lot of people's radar, and, and everyone's just saying he was a bust. But he's healthy now, and he looked excellent. You've got Russell Wilson healthy, as you talked about. And this offense, it is rolling right now. They get Green Bay, who can't stop anybody. I think Tyler Lockett. I'm, a, I'm more intrigued about Tyler Lockett than I am even Malcolm Mitchell at this point. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I tweeted earlier uh, before the Week 13 games that Tyreek Hill was having the season. I thought Tyler Lockett would have, and then finally Lockett had a Hill game. Yeah. We've seen a little bit of that with Taylor Gabriel and Lano. Some of these guys who are explosive, you're looking for a big play. You can't count on – these aren't guys who are going to get 8, 10, 12 touches a game. Although, 
Hill at times has been heavily used in Atlanta, but certainly Gabriel's not going to be that player. And Lockett, the best you're probably ever going to get is the, the six touches that he had in Sunday night's game, although he actually looked really good on the return game, too. I, you can never expect a return touchdown, but it seemed like he was going to go to the house every time he touched the ball. I mean, the bottom line is he's healthy. The defense is getting healthier, albeit Earl Thomas is obviously a huge loss, but you know they got Bennett back. Uh, I think it's the best team in the NFC. So I mean, maybe Lockett gets something going with a return, and then they're looking to scheme him touches, right? I mean, the touchdown on the Jets sweep. Again, you, you can't necessarily count on that type of thing, but they're looking for ways to get this guy involved. Wilson's healthy again. The offensive line is at least playing better than it was earlier in the season. Lockett, to me, is a high up. If you need high volatility or high upside, maybe you can even pair him with Russell Wilson. You, you see your opponent. This is something I look at a lot. If, I, if I'm in a fantasy playoff game and my opponent is stronger than me, okay, and I'm thinking, how am I going to beat this person? He's a better team than me. A lot of times I'll look to pair my quarterback with a receiver because I'm looking for the simplest way to catch some upside. Lockett with a defense or something like that. If you're looking – for a plausible scenario where if this one or two things were to happen, I'd be in a much better situation. So maybe somebody who has Russell Wilson, again, you're, you're an underdog, you don't have great receiver depth, it might make sense to pull the trigger on a locket. You know, you mentioned Taylor Gabriel. And first of all, it's really funny that the Browns cut this guy because he is a sensational athlete. I mean, you look at him, he's only 5'7", 165. That's very small for the NFL. I mean, I remember all the hype with Brashard Perryman coming out. And you look at Taylor Gabriel's combine, he's a better athlete than Brashard Perryman. This guy is, uh, he's electric. And for whatever reason, the Falcons just keep finding him a way to get the ball and he's making plays. Are you adding him if he's available or do you think he's going to come back down to earth? No, I think he's a nice player. I mean, even last week when he didn't have a huge game, he did have five catches and they usually get him the ball on the ground as well. Kyle Shanahan is having a lot of fun. They have two really good running backs. And they've had uh, the best receiver group that Matt Ryan's ever dealt with. I mean, you, you know, Julio Jones is great. Of course, he's dinged up too. Maybe he might not be at yeah. full throttle for the rest of the season. So, Gabriel, they've made him. They're, again, they're scheming ways for him to touch the ball. You're not. It's a different type of player because at receiver, we were just trained to look at the targets and the opportunity, and it's not going to be the same for a player like Gabriel who isn't made necessarily to handle the ball as much as some of these other guys. But he's an explosive player. A lot of games indoors, so I think it's just one game left on the carpet because they have a week 17 against New Orleans. won't be a fantasy game. But uh, it's a coordinator I trust. It's a quarterback I trust. It's a player who's been productive for us, double-digit games in four of his last five starts, albeit he didn't do it in week 13. But, you know, yeah. five catches at least, at least he showed up. And Kyle Shanahan has shown that, you know, this is somebody who we want to get. We want to find ways to manufacture touches for Gabriel week in, week out. Now, there's three running backs, Scott, that are at least intriguing to me. Now, these guys aren't going to save your season, uh, but Rex Burkhead got a lot of touches. He gets Cleveland this week, and, uh, you know, he was getting he was getting the ball a lot more this week. They're starting to trust him in the passing game and in the rushing game. And then you've got Mike Gillisley for the Buffalo Bills. We know they have an incredible offensive line. And, uh, look, it's not an ideal matchup this week, but he got the ball again. He's been getting the ball a lot the past four weeks, and he gets Cleveland in week 15. And if McCoy goes down, yeah, he, he could win you your fantasy championship. And then Zach Zenner, who Dwayne Washington's out. Zenner's going to get carries probably on the goal line. So uh, he's interesting, but, man, I would really not feel happy about starting him. How do you feel about these three guys? Zenner I like the least because I'm not sure Detroit's going to be playing from a lead, be playing a couple of those uh, NFC East teams. They have Dallas and Giants, I believe, on the schedule. 
So I, it may be a case where, and that's an offense, I think with their offensive line and the way they want to play, it's going to be about 40 plus passes for Stafford. And even at the goal line, I mean, we, we saw when they got at the goal for the first time against the Orleans, they immediately threw the ball to Riddick. I mean, they didn't even, they spread the field. They didn't even try to do what most teams do, go with a heavy package and try to pound the ball inside. So if you can't come up with a, a story where you imagine Detroit controlling those games against some of those teams, they may be underdogs against. For me, it's hard to get to center. But I do, I, I love Gillisley. I mean, look, this guy, even though he doesn't necessarily have a lot of wiggle to his game, he has a lot of explosive runs. Yeah. And Buffalo has shown, and maybe, you know, what, maybe they'll look at what they did last week as a blueprint where you're using McCoy between the 20s, but maybe you want to spare him some of the pounding, some of the heavy work at the goal line where you get tackled by the team picture. And Gillisley punched in a couple of touchdowns. It's, it's kind of like in baseball when somebody – gets a couple of saves and, and seems to you know, thrive in a certain role. Sometimes you just keep him in there because it's working and maybe Gilsley keeps his goal line role. A certainly a must own player for anybody who has McCoy, or if you have just a roster spot to play with, if McCoy were to get hurt and he certainly had injury problems during his career, the Cleveland game you mentioned down the road, which should be a great game to, to own Gilsley. Or just if you're in a league that goes really deep, I'm in a 20 team league where anybody who's touching the ball around the goal line has value. I actually had to play Burkhead in another very, very deep league. And, and he's a guy who's interesting. We know he's probably a better pass catcher than Jeremy Hill. I thought Hill's six catches two weeks ago were more of a fluke. And Cincinnati will probably have games down the stretch where they're trailing. Probably that Baltimore game, you know, uh, I'm trying to think who else they have in their schedule. But Cincinnati could be a team where they have to play from behind. And Burkhead, at least, is going to get half the snaps in this backfield. I'll say this about Mike Gillisley and, and punching it into the end zone. Six touchdowns in seven games. That is really good for a backup running back. If McCoy does go down, he's an RB1. He's a clear-cut RB1 in my mind. Yeah, he's a potential season winner. And, you know, I mean, look, 14 for 72 against Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's actually been a really fun player. If you're in MFLs, if you have him, like, you know, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th round, where you just any, – any, any production from a player like that can be useful. But – and Buffalo, right, a really good offensive line, a mobile quarterback, which is good for the running game. That not only helps McCoy, but I, mean, I think it helps Gillisley. And, and he's got that low center of gravity. He seems to always move the pile, almost never goes down on first contact. I mean, McCoy's terrific, and he can do things that Gillisley can't do. But I think Mike Gillisley is a damn good football player. Now, we've got a handful of wide receivers that if you're in a deeper league and maybe Malcolm Mitchell's not there or, or you don't like Tyler Lockett, which of these wide receivers, Scott, do you think is most worthy of a pickup between Teddy Ginn, Adam Thielen, maybe a Pierre Garçon, or Dontrell Inman? Uh, Inman's the guy I like the most because I think he's the most polished receiver and the guy who can beat you in the most variety of ways. But we can't ignore what Ginn's doing, too. On an offense where so many things are going wrong, I and mean, Greg Olson's in a funk right now, and Kelvin Benjamin's in a funk right now, and I don't even want to touch that Cam Newton run. <laughs> talk about, you know, just cutting your nose to spite your face, and why can't you just find him or something if you want to If you want to do that? Why take your best player off the field and, and start from a deficit against the Seattle team that's going to be hard to beat anyway? But Ted Ginn, man, he's on a really nice run right now. He's probably the only deep threat that they trust. I remember with Ginn, he was a first-round pick. I mean, there's a pedigree. He had 10 touchdowns last season, so it's not like it's come out of nowhere. I actually trust Ted, Ted Ginn the rest of the season. Yeah, I do too. He's got three weeks with 11, 18, 14 points. I have him at the top of that ugly list, but I would really prefer if I don't have to play any of those guys. It's what you said about your playoff matchup. If you're facing this team who hasn't had injuries all year and you know they were able to rob one of the weaker owners and, and grab a third great running back, if you're facing that guy, 
maybe go out and reach for someone who's a big playmaker, Brashad Perriman for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, other than that, you know, I think Teddy Ginn is the most reliable of that group. So, at least Ginn has scored the last two weeks, and he seems to have something going with Philip Rivers, 119 yards two weeks ago. And also what we like about the Chargers is a really favorable schedule. I mean, you've seen how Carolina's defense has been in disarray most of the year. I don't know that Luke Keekley will play again. Just having him off the field seems to make a big difference. Oakland, you can certainly throw the ball against. That's their Week 15 matchup. And I, assuming weather isn't a factor in Week 16 in Cleveland, the Browns' defense has not shown an ability to stop anything you want to do. So I would, I would think that there could be a lot of a lot of weeks where Inman plays in the fantasy rosters in the playoffs. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, Scott, that's all the questions we have for you this week. Really appreciate you coming on the show. It was a good chat, and uh, looking forward to seeing how some of these guys, Malcolm Mitchell and, and Mike Gillisley, play for us the rest of the season. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. All right, take care, Scott. For those of you listening, we've got two more shows coming up this week, highlighted by Chris Harris coming on for the Wednesday night show to talk about his rankings. We also have the Fantasy Baseball Podcast, which I also host going on. So hop on over to that. Subscribe on iTunes. really helps us out. Thanks for listening. And enjoy your football. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve.